Thank you, worship team. The Bible says that we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns. Joe, is today your birthday too? Happy birthday, man. I'm sorry. I forgot about Joe Leiterman. He works in our children's ministry, our AV. He does it all. So let's wish Joe a happy birthday as well. Well, I saw you. I'm sorry, man. Uh, appreciate you, my friend. Um, we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I just want us to be reminded by what we just sang. I did this in the first service. I wasn't, this is not part of my sermon. But I want you to be reminded about what the words that we just sang. He'll not let my soul be lost. Are you thankful for that? His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. What truths um, are in that song? So, thank you, worship team. We're reading in Genesis uh, chapter 4. So, if you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screen. Um, I usually say open your Bibles. I'd like for you to, if you have your Bibles, open them and take notes. Um, last week, it was my intention to preach through verses 1 through 16. The Lord just led me to just preach really through the, the first five verses of Genesis we're going to read Genesis chapter 4 in its entirety this morning uh, just to be able to get a whole context and understanding of this particular Going through the, 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 the book of Genesis, we're, we're going through chapters 1 through 11 between now and May. Um, appreciate your prayers, appreciate your comments, appreciate your being here. Uh, but we're going to read the whole chapter, and I'll kind of pause and make some... Um, some comments uh, as we read the particular portion of Scripture. But follow along with me in Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, or knew, his, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So it was that particular portion of Scripture last week that I preached a message to you. is really a two-point emphasis and that was, number one, as we look at these passages or look at this passage of Scripture, that we need to be reminded that, that God is very much concerned with your worship. Just as he was with Cain and Abel, that they both were at the right place at the right time, in a sense, doing the right thing. And God is very much concerned about our worship this morning, your worship specifically. 
it's not only who we are. Cain was rejected and then his offering, and Abel was accepted and his offering was accepted. We must worship him in spirit and truth. We must worship him with hearts of love. So it's who we are, and based on who we are is going to be based on what we actually do. One brings the fruit of the ground, and the other one brings a, a sacrifice that was a blood sacrifice. And I'm just going to pause here a moment, and, and I understand and I confess the uneasiness of what pastors do when they bring up money, or they bring up an offering, or they bring up treasure. The very first offering that was brought, the very first act of worship in our, our passage in the Bible is someone bringing an offering to the Lord. And I know that there are churches and perhaps individuals and pastors who are, it seems like, well, they're out for the money. But the flip side of that is to say, well, then, I, uh, pastor, as a pastor, I don't care for the heart. Because Jesus very specifically talks about the heart and our treasures very pointedly in the book of Matthew Jesus didn't say where your quiet time is there will your heart be also he didn't say where your excitement is there will your heart be also he says but where your treasure is there will your heart be also I said last week, we cannot serve God and mammon. I mean, this is a big deal for us. It's a big deal for the Lord. And I'm going to say to those who are members of Community Baptist Church, how's your worship in this particular area going? And can I say this? We are meeting budget here. This is not about we need more money. We want proper worship. We want proper worship. And if you're new to community, then partner with us for the cause of Christ. But yeah, God is very much concerned in our worship. But number two, we see from last week, God responds to our worship. With Cain and his offering, he rejected it. With Abel and his offering, he accepted it. And the worst thing that can happen this morning, my brothers and sisters, you, you can be in the right place, the right time, and we can corporately gather and you desire to worship, but because of sin in your life or your attitude of coming to the Lord, it's about you rather than Him, He can reject that worship. And throughout our city, there will be people that gather in churches and, quote, worship will be happening. And it's God and God alone that decides whether or not that worship is going to be received by Him. Amen. Just because people do things and get in a frenzy and everything else doesn't mean worship is going to be received. Following here in the following verses is going to remind us of this truth. Have you ever desired to worship the Lord, but you have failed in your worship? Your attitude's been wrong. Your outlook's been wrong. Your focus has been wrong. That's me. We have all failed in some way of our worship to God. And what we find out here in the remainder of the chapter is how ultimately Cain and his descendants failed in worshiping the one true God in the way that they should have. My question this morning is, is how does God respond to those who fail in their worship? What's his response to us this morning? Follow along as I continue the chapter. 
Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? He said, I do not know. I, am I my brother's keeper? Stop for a second. Don't quote a murderer, by the way. Right? Teach your kids not to quote a murderer. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you, you are your brother's keeper. Right? Verse 10, And the Lord said, what, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the, from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forge of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And just stop for a moment. I love what James Montgomery Boy said about this verse and the next verse. He says, ponder the white space between that verse and the next in the Bible. For the story of Cain's family ceases abruptly... And that next verse announces the birth to Adam of another son whose line it is to forward the purposes of God. Lamech and his civilized, lawless family are never heard from again. Verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a, a son was born, and he called his, his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to preach a message to you entitled, A Tale of Two Cities, as Augustine would say, or A Tale of Two Seeds. What you, are, you find out here in Genesis chapter 4, what we're reminded of is, is that the sin of the individual earlier in Genesis between Adam and Eve spill over into the family between Canaan and Abel. That Cain murders his brother Abel. He takes his own brother's life. And even before that happens, God comes to him and warns him 
but Cain ignored God's warning. He ended up murdering his brother. He refused to repent of his ways. He's bothered more by the punishment than of his sin. And the Bible says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. As we look at this particular passage of Scripture, what you're going to find out is, as I said last week, this story is more about Cain than it is about Abel. This story is about how does God respond to those who will not worship him the way that they should. How does God treat those and respond to unbelievers? And I think we can learn a lot from that. The first point I want you to see this morning is God pleads with the ungodly. Look with me in verse number 7 where he comes to Cain and he is going to encourage him or challenge him to repent. He says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? See, Cain brought his offering, but it was rejected. And how is, how is Cain going to respond from the, the correction of the Lord? And, and the Lord says, Cain, listen, if you'll do the right thing, if you'll get your heart right, then you will be accepted. He offers them, in a sense, a way out. He offers him a, a proper response. If you will do the right thing, you will be accepted. Later on in that verse, he warns of the power of sin. He says, and if you do not do well, then sin is crouching at the door. It, or the sin's desire, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Here we see in our text that Cain has anger in his heart, not only to his brother, but toward his God. He's warning him, listen, things will spiral out of control if you don't deal with your sin. You have sin that's personified as a wild beast, not something that's tamed, not something that should be coddled and brought close, but something that, that will destroy you. You don't let sin go unchecked because sin can lead you to the very act, as we see in our text, murder. The story is told of David Livingston, one of the missionaries, and he was out in Africa, and there was told that there was a, a lion in the, the community, in the jungle, uh, in the village area, and, and these men went out to, to try to find the lion. I would have stayed in the village. But they go out into the, 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 the woods and everything else looking for the lion, and the lion, um, he came around a corner, and the lion jumped on David Livingston, almost tore his arm off. Did a lot of damage. That's what sin will do if you don't deal with sin. It will seek to destroy you. And God is warning him of the power of sin. And what, what you find out here is Cain did not answer God directly with his words. He answered God in his actions in verse number 8, where he took the life of his brother. Here they go out into the field, the very place from where this religious man gathered his offering to God, and he kills his brother in the very place. Folks, this wasn't like an accidental murder. This was premeditated. This was first-degree murder where a brother takes the life of another brother. How does God respond even in that? We find out throughout the text that God is consistently pleading with the ungodly. Look what he says in verse number 6 of the text. He asks him, you know, why are you angry? 
And why has your face fallen? What's going on inside, Cain? What's happening? Yes, I rejected your worship, but, but you have a, an opportunity to respond to that and do the right thing. Again, he says in verse number nine, after the murder, he says, where's your brother Abel? He knew where his brother Abel was. He was trying to get to the heart of Cain, to, for Cain to understand and acknowledge his sin. And we see in verse number 10, the Lord just outright says, what have you done? Cain, what in the world have you done? Your brother's blood is crying from the ground. What have you done? And all of these questions are just like the questions when he asked of Adam and Eve, where are you? God knew where Adam and Eve were, but he was leading them to a point that, that hopefully that they would understand their sin and, and repent of that. We see verses 11 and 12 that even he is merciful even in his judgment. See, later on in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, we'll see that if you take a life, then your life should be taken. That, that, that could have easily should have happened here that people would say, but God doesn't do that with him. But even in his judgment, he is merciful to those who are sinners. He says in verse 11, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. See, this curse included two things, being driven away from the, the land that was easier to be cultivated, but then also that he was just going to be a wanderer because he's going to have to find a place to be able to cultivate and be able to make, in a sense, a living and a life. What I believe is happening here, even in God's punishment in this way, that, that it ought to have led Cain to come to a point of saying, God, I can't do life without you. Lord, I need you. But not even that did he respond. In verses 13 and 14, no doubt God is looking for repentance, not remorse, but look at, look at Cain. Cain said to the Lord in verse 13, and I can almost hear him kind of whining. He's more concerned about the punishment than he is about his sin. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. See, the crime that he committed didn't bother him, but the penalty was what bothered him. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. Fear, my friends, is not repentance. Guilt is not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. All you, see do, all you see happening here is Cain is just complaining about the consequences of his sin. And how about the sin itself? Are we bothered by the sin in our lives? So we see, yes, how does God respond to the ungodly? He pleads with them. Look in verses 14 and following that God restrains sin and offers protection for the sinner. At the end of verse 14, he says, I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And for many of us, we'll say, well, yeah, that's what you deserve. You're going to get your comings up. This is, what, this is what's going to happen to you. Look how the Lord responds in verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
and the Lord put a mark on Cain. Let me stop there. The word mark is really the word sign. I think it's mentioned 75 times in the Old Testament. Every time that word mark is mentioned, it means sign. So I believe what God did is God just simply gave Cain a sign to assure him that, that you're going to be okay and I'm going to protect you. There are some authors and some writers, which I'm not saying that they're the best, but some people say, well, probably what happened was the mark that Cain received was he was paralyzed. So then, therefore, he was protected. Another writer says, well, he probably had horns. I'm like, I don't know where you got that from, you know. No, I, God, I just believe God gave Cain a sign of saying, you're going to be okay, and I'm not, no one's going to kill you. But you're going to find out here in offering and, and really restraining sin happening to the murderer, you're going to see that God's judgment is even tempered by his mercy, that he could have gotten more. Um, not only does God spare the life of the murderer, but you know what else happens? God even allows the ungodly to prosper. Look with me in the following verses. We understand that God is a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. The Bible also teaches he's a God of grace and mercy. We see a God who holds justice in his right hand and mercy in his, his left hand. God's concern is for the innocent. God's concern for the innocent is matched by his care for the, the sinner. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And we can, we can look out at the world and think about the ungodly people, but, but be reminded about what God has done in your own heart, in your own life. God is better not only to us but to others he's better than we think he is there was a particular man in our church who last week we were talking about this particular passage and he said you know what so often people think about god as as, as a, a person who's like off their medication in the old testament and then they come back on the medication in the new testament where he's a whole lot happier and kind but folks, can I say this? If you, you understand who the God, and, and he said, of course, that's wrong. I'm not, I'm not calling this guy a heretic, right? He said, it's wrong. You look at how God dealt with Adam and Eve. He was very gracious. You look at how he dealt with Cain. And folks, God is more gracious and kind than some of us would have been to Cain. And that's a problem. God is very gracious, very kind, very long-suffering, very patient, and some, sometimes we struggle of God's goodness with the unsaved world. I mean, the Bible says that narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and broad is the way. In a sense, we live in a, a world that the majority of the people that we live around are going to hell. That's what the Bible says. And God has a heart for those people. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, he says, O house of Israel. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that, that all should come to repentance. So often we see the godly prospering. Look in verse 17. The ungodly have children. 
No doubt there's been Christians love the Lord, serving the Lord, faithful to the Lord, and they're like, Lord, we can't have children. Why are these heathens? Why are they having children? Why, why are they able to, to succeed and, and be blessed in this way? Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and, and we see that lineage of the ungodly people eventually. Verse 17, it talks about Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and when he built a city, that the ungodly are successful builders. Why are they successful in accomplishing what they're trying to get done? And I'm working hard, and I love God, and I'm not able to get this success. The ungodly enjoy the pleasures and the beauty of this world. In verse 19, and Lamech, Lamech was the first bigamist in the Bible. That's not a compliment, by the way. He went against what God's word said. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah. Adah means pleasure or ornament or beauty. No doubt his values were the outward of a woman instead of the inward, as 1 Peter says. And the other wife's name was Zillah, meaning shade or perhaps beautiful hair. His daughter's name, Namah, which means loveliness. So here there, there's a society and people who are just going after pleasure and beauty, and it seems like, it seems like man, they're succeeding. They're getting everything in this world. Then we read on that the ungodly are excess, successful in life. They're successful in business in verse 20. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. They're successful in music and arts. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. I mean, why are they successful in their, their desires and ambitions? Verse 22, they're successful in their metalworking. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the, the uh, forger of the instruments of the bronze and the iron. I said this earlier that I believe that the society here in Genesis 4 is whole lot greater advance than we could ever realize it wasn't until 2,000 years later after this time that mankind was able to understand how to forge metal and how to get it right and hot and and do all of that I think we sell these people short sometimes and look in verses 23 and 24 the ungodly seemingly prosperous sinners Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I have to say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And in essence, what he's doing is he's bragging just for taking the life of someone who offended him. He's, he's estimating himself even being greater than Cain of this vengeance. And we may come to a point of saying, you know what, God, why are you so kind to sinners? And I would say that you struggle just like many people in the, in the Bible struggled. Job struggled with the fact that the ungodly were prospering. In Job 21, verses 7 and following, he says, Why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and the descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. I mean, there's no correction. It seems like they're just doing what they want, and there's no problem. 
their bull breeds without fail their cow calves and does not miscarry just seems like they're just successful 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 job says jeremiah also struggled with the same fact in jeremiah 12 and verse 1 he says righteous are you o lord when i complain to you yet i would plead my case before you why does the way of the wicked prosper why do all who are treacherous thrive lord why are they succeeding why am i failing why am i struggling asaph also struggled with this fact of the ungodly prospering in psalm chapter 73 he says truly god is good to israel to those who are pure in heart but as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped for i was envious of the arrogant when i saw the prosperity of the wicked later on in psalm 73 in verse 12 he says behold these are the wicked always at ease they increase in riches and once again the struggle in our hearts of why are the ungodly prospering and i love what david said in psalm chapter 37 verses 1 and 2 he says fret not yourself because of evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and they will wither like the green herb god is not only kind to those people who are ignorant of him but he's also kind to those who are hostile what's going on here is what theologians would call uh, common grace or so often in, in when we think about grace we think about saving grace and if you're here this morning and, and you're a believer then god has saved you but the bible also teaches that god is kind to this world at large that there's he will sh send rain on the godly and the ungodly and so often in our minds we just want it to rain on the godly that our our harvest will be bountiful and we'll be prosperous and the ungodly they ought to just have drought and they ought to have hardship but god in his goodness is even good to those who rebel against him and we ought to think this morning that god is good to us all of those who follow him because of another fugitive fugitive who was driven away from the presence of his father one who is willing to have his father his heavenly father turn his back on him so that there would be hope for us so that we could be redeemed so that we can know and love god and that we could serve the lord with our hearts hebrews chapter 12 and verses verse 24 says jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of abel so truly jesus paid it all and we can have a relationship with him like we what we ought to i want to share from my heart just a couple pastoral admonitions to us this morning number one as followers of christ in our response to the world at large don't be angry towards sinners be kind be gracious number two pray for sinners pray for those who are blinded in our text here judgment is coming in genesis 6 in our life here today judgment is coming as it's recorded in the book of revelation judgment will come to these people folks god is righteous and god is holy but our hearts ought to be praying for those who do not know christ be thankful for what god has done in your own life because you were once blind 
you were once walking in darkness. A number of verses that would remind us this morning about the truth of the gospel. Number one, uh, think about Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, <laughs> you ought to be very thankful. Number two, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse really 17 and 18 it talks about all types of sinners and the ungodly people and first corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 it says and such were some of you this is the way you were but here's what happened but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of god don't forget what you were and what god has done in your life and then I love this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin. Dead. Dead. In your trespasses and sin. That's what your old life was. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, and by nature we were the children of wrath. God's judgment was upon us, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, here's what he did, he made us alive together with Christ. And if you're a believer here this morning, you're no longer dead in your sins. You're alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with the Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He, God, might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How good God has been to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is not about us. It's about God. Later on in Ephesians, we're reminded to be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. We're to treat other people the way that God has treated us. The fourth truth I would say to you this morning, a reminder, is to focus on your own heart as you worship God. I'm going to give you an illustration, and there's variations of the story, and some of them say this was a man that came to the pastor, and other ones said it was a woman, and I googled on Google, and you can check me out. Uh, I wanted to find a man holding a glass of water in the church, and I couldn't find a man holding a glass of water in the church. Guess what? I found a woman holding a glass of uh, water in the church. So I'm not picking on women. I'm picking on Google. <laughs> but a lady went to her pastor and said to her pastor, Pastor, I won't be going to church anymore. And the pastor responded by asking why. The lady said, oh, I saw and heard women talking about another me a member, a man that is a hypocrite, the worship team is living wrong, people looking at their phones during the service, and other things in our church. The pastor replied, okay, but before you go, would you do me a favor? Would you take a full glass of water and would you walk around the church three times without spilling a drop? 
And then afterwards, you can leave the church if you desire. The lady thought, you know, this is going to be easy. So she grabbed the glass of water and she began to walk around the church three times. When she finished, she told the pastor she was about ready to leave. The pastor said, I've got one more question for you. So before you, um, when you were walking around the church, did you see anyone gossiping? She said, no. Then she, he said, did you spot any of the hypocrites or come across anybody on their phones? Once again, she said, no. Then the pastor said these words, says you were focused on the glass to make sure you didn't stumble and spill any water. It's the same with our life. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have to have time to see the mistakes of others. We'll reach out a helping hand to them and concentrate on our own walk with the Lord. So my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, so often we can come to church and we can get distracted. We can keep our eyes on man. But folks, it's not about us. It's about the God in heaven who deserves our worship. And then I will say this, that we are to realize that God has a plan even for the godly. Look with me and I'll end very quickly, if you'll listen quickly. God has a plan even for the godly. We see in verse 25 that the godly acknowledge the Lord. Here Eve says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. First of all, I think about the growth in this statement, but before it was her and God, and now it's, this is all God. So there's growth in that. The other statement I think about is, I don't know how many years later it was, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years later, when she names this other child, she, in the same sentence, she remembers Cain killed my other son. What heartache for a mom. The godly acknowledge the Lord. The godly understand their need for the Lord. The name Enosh here is meaning frail, mortal. Not like Lamech and all his pride and how he named his kids. And then we see in verse 26 that the godly depend on the Lord. At that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, how much we need the Lord this morning. Let's pray. So our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And we all need to be reminded this morning that each descendant of Adam and Eve must choose whether or not he will listen to God or rebel against him. And if you're here this morning, if you're walking in the way of Cain, if you rejected the way of salvation provided through you, through Christ, would you heed the warning of God and turn back while there's still time? Would you take the way of Abel, who though he was killed, nevertheless had a testimony from God that he was righteous? Don't allow your pride or hatred or resentment to keep you from understanding and receiving Christ. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are going to close with a song about God and his goodness. And may we rejoice in the goodness of God this morning. Lord, Work in our hearts. May we glorify you, we pray in your name.